We're still kind of looking at end times. Today we're going to look at the long war. Paul wrote about his looking for the Lord's return. He did not know it had not been revealed to him that it would be at least 2,000 years, roughly from that time, 2,000 years. The war would be exceeding long. Matthew chapter 13, looking at the wheat and the tares. Matthew 13, verse 24. <clears throat> Another parable put he forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while the while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. The judge of all the, right, all the world will do right. He's not going to allow any of his to be lost. The Christian warfare lasts a lifetime. Ecclesiastes 8 and 8, there is no discharge from that war. It's, it's, it's going to be with us till the Lord takes us out one way or the other. It seems like there's always war brewing somewhere, always fighting without and within. Matthew 24, verse 6, And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled. Now, of course, this is a long time ago when he said these words. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. We know the inequity of the Amorites is not yet full. And all these things, they vex us. Like Brother Joe speaking, how lot was vexed. They, they wear on us, wear us down. We have the testimony of two men in Scripture. The world totally gets it wrong. I mean, one man was Job. Job, you, you sinned. All this stuff's come upon you because of your, your wrongdoing. It's your fault. When we know for truth, many are the afflictions of the righteous. In the, if I can find it, Job chapter 7, <clears throat> verse 14. Then thou scarest me with dreams and terrifiest me through visions, so that my soul chooses strangling and death rather than life. I loathe it. I would not live always. Let me alone, for my days are vanity. What is man that thou shouldest magnify him, and that thou shouldest set thine heart upon him? That was Job's take on it. The other man, the world said, you got it right. Solomon had it all. And look at the standpoint that 
these men are speaking from Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 17. Therefore I hated life because the work that was wrought under the sun is grievous unto me. For all is vanity and vexation of the spirit. Yea, I hated all my labor which I had taken under the sun, because I should leave it to the man that shall be after me. Look at their standpoint. One's writing from the standpoint of what lust and covetousness. That's Solomon. He had everything he wanted. And look at what he led him. What a predicament it left him in. Job, on the other hand, because of his righteousness, suffered. We see in these things what what we can expect out of the world. We're going to leave it behind. Nobody can expect deliverance. And as we know, John chapter 16 tells us, in the world we shall have tribulation. Cannot expect our forefathers and to help us out. Can't get to heaven on somebody else's shirt tail, as it's called. The book of Ezekiel in the 14th chapter speaks about the three most righteous men. We've already mentioned one of them. Ezekiel 14 and 16. Wrong chapter. Though these three men were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither sons nor daughters. They only shall be delivered Sounds like it's going to be war. Well, yeah, that's what it is. And if, if we will not learn from history or learn from our forefathers and learn from what we see, we will repeat it. He that will not learn from history is destined to repeat it. As this quote goes, Judges chapter 2. Verse 7. This is what happened when Joshua, the, the great commander, passed on. Judges, I'm in the wrong book. Judges chapter 2, verse 7. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua who had seen all the great works of the Lord of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being a hundred and ten years old. And they buried him. And in verse 11... Well, it's verse 10. And also that generation were gathered to their fathers, the righteous ones. There arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works that he had done for Israel. What we're seeing in our own society, this ain't the same ones that I'm talking about, the new, young, upcoming society. We see where they're going. Verse 12, And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt. 
the battle makes a full circle. If we observe Scripture, meditate on Scripture, read it, live it like we're supposed to, that ain't no guarantee that the next generation is going to be good, but it's a, there's a better chance that they will be. I mean, just look at what history proves. The great generation, as it was called, was raised by a great generation. In the early days of this country, people didn't have nothing else to do on the Lord's Day, but they went to the church. It's righteous and the wicked. And sometimes you, you had believers and the non-so-called believers were, you'd think they were righteous people also. Nowadays, it's, it's evident. The promises of God will be brought to pass. I mean, man's not going to thwart God's plan. But Christ made it plain in the Gospel of Luke, when the Son of Man returns, shall he find faith. Anyway, back to the long war. Scripture was written for our admonition and for our learning. We know from Romans 15 and 4, 1 Corinthians 10. It tells us of the warfare that we will wage. Things that war against our soul. In the book of Hebrews, the 12th chapter. I mean, these are just things to expect. He, he, Hebrews 12. Verse 1, Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking at it from the standpoint of a, a race. In uh, verse 4, that same chapter, you have not resisted unto blood striving against sin. There's going to be strife against it. It's going to vex us. Simple as that. Ephesians chapter 6. We rest not with flesh and blood. Well, first of all, that means that we're wrestling with something. It's the spirit world. That's in the Ephesians chapter Six, verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, and against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. They're there, and they're alive and well. They're not going to stop. They're not going to retreat. Paul talked about the warfare that he'd waged there in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. 1 Timothy 6, 12. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life whereunto thou art called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. How do we war in this day and age? I mean, we can't see the enemy. They're there, they're coming. 
We can only follow the guiding of the Holy Spirit. We read in 2 Corinthians, we, I think we read this here a week or so ago, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, because it's not a carnal war. But are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and everything that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringeth into captivity the thought, every thought to the obedience of Christ. Man likes to think that he's special. I mean, it's our, it's our sinful nature. We're subject to pride. God hates pride. God hates sin. God will not tolerate sin in any way, fashion, or form. In the book of, I believe it's Joshua. I'm quoting this from memory. I think it's the 11th chapter. No, no, excuse me. It's the 7th chapter. And the... Achan, it's when Achan trespassed. Achan took the Babylonian garment and the wedge of, I think it was gold, hid it, among, hid it in his tent. The point that I'm trying to make is when he was punished, him and his whole family was destroyed. So... Joshua sent messengers, and they ran into the tent. That's Achan's tent, and behold, it was hid in his tent. They, they were not to take any of the spoil, and he took and hid some of the spoil. We've all heard the story many times. They took it out of the tent and laid them out before the Lord, and Joshua and all Israel took him with him, took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver and the garment and the wedge of gold, and his sons and his daughters, and his oxen and his asses and his sheep and his tent and all that he had, they brought them into the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned, stoned him with stones and burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones unto this day. So the Lord turned from his, the fierceness of his anger. Wherefore, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor in this day. Why did he destroy the whole family? One man's sin. How many people did Adam's sin affect? All. To make a riddance of evil, uh, you've heard me mention it many times lately, Revelation 20, there's still dealing with trying to eradicate the effects of just one sin. That's something that you think about it. That's exactly what's going on. Why don't God just destroy all the wicked? Just with a word, say, be destroyed. I mean, he, he could do it with a word, no, no problem. But as we well know, Verse 2 of Titus chapter 1, In hope of eternal life, which God, 
that cannot lie promised before the world began. Those that will benefit from this promise, those of us, must be brought to faith, and it must be done in time. What God said will come to pass must come to pass. Getting back to the wheat and the tares, the tares depict the wicked, and of course that we know as Christ went on to say that the angels would come and gather them in bundles and burn them. The darnel, as it's called, bears no fruit. It looks like wheat, but that's the big difference. It will produce no fruit. Cain and Abel, to look at them, you probably couldn't have told much difference in them. They were brothers. They both brought an offering to the the Lord. One was accepted and the other was rejected. Not only was his offering, Cain's offering rejected, he was rejected. And his love for sin basically made made him a murderer, made him a monster. In the end... Both the ten functions to their own liking. The righteous, Abel speaks to us from the grave. Cain, his love for sin, heard Brother Joe talk about his offspring, wrote poetry about their wickedness. There's been a twofold development between good and evil. The evil gets worse. The good like the wheat mature. The churches now are mostly empty and the prisons we know to be full. But as we well know, God knew all about it before time. We are to be steadfast in our warfare because after all we're to become more like our Savior and we'll be to be more conformed into his image even though the world today is anti-God darkness reigns and after all it was under the cover of darkness that the tares was sown so don't expect any better one may despair that Christians many Christians have perished as we've already said, John chapter sixteen thirty three, in the world you shall have tribulation. We are getting closer and closer to the end, and we see that day approaching. Many think that the churches are getting stronger. The knowledge is increased. Well. In the book of Daniel, the 12th chapter, knowledge is is increased. This is called the unveiling of the 12th chapter of Daniel. 
I can't, can't find the exact passage right now because I can't see through these grilled glasses. Verse 4 of Daniel chapter 12. But thou, o Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Running to and fro, fast, rapid travel. Flight goes around the world quickly. Knowledge shall be increased. This has happened. This tells us that it's the end. I mean, look at the things that man can do now. Knowledge. Knowledge and wisdom are two different things. Wisdom is... Knowledge is knowing what to say. I guess wisdom is know if you want to say it or not. Sometimes you're better off not saying anything. But there's also one other thing. It's often spoke about, which is basically what I really wanted to cover today in the lesson. The parable of the budding of the fig tree. Now there's the, the curse of the fig tree. There's the budding of the fig tree. And the two are totally different. Mentioned in Matthew chapter 24, Mark chapter 13, Luke chapter 21. Luke says in his account uh, not only the fig tree, but all the trees, which is where we want to start. Well, exactly what is it getting at the budding of the fig tree? Some say it's the arrival of the kingdom. Some say it's a reestablishing of Israel back in the forefront of the battle. Luke said in Luke chapter 21, as I mentioned a minute ago, all trees. Luke chapter 21 and 29. And he spake unto them a parable. Behold the fig tree and all trees. When they now shoot forth, you see and know that of your own selves that summer is now nigh at hand. It's simple as that. Trees, when leaves bloom or break out in bud early in the spring, it's not fixing to become fall, it's fixing to become spring and on into summer. So likewise, ye, when ye see these things come to pass, know that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till it be fulfilled. Okay, if we know what a generation is, we can nail it. Well, we don't know what the generation is. Some said 33 years, some says 100 some say 70. That, that argument won't work. But it's just simply as this. When the budding starts, when all these things, what things? The things that he said. Matthew spoke about them. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive in all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down with the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Over in 
Matthew chapter 24, talking about those same things. The signs in the moon, signs in the sun. You shall hear the wars and rumors of wars. Many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Well, we've seen a lot of that. Nations shall rise against nations, verse 7 of Matthew 24. Verse 9, And they shall deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. Christ said, Love will wax cold. And many false prophets shall rise and deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. That's the things. When you see these things begin, you know the end is near. Christ is referring to trees in general, what they do in the spring, and not a particular fig tree. Now, he did curse the fig tree. So exactly what's that have to do with it? <clears throat> I think it's in Matthew, um, I believe, 23, 27. <clears throat> Talking about the Pharisees, it's in chapter 23. The, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Jewish elite. Verse 23, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of men and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought you to have done and not to leave the other undone. Tells, condemns them uh, some of their other dealings. Verse 28, Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous to men, but within are full of hypocrisy and inequity. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous. And say, if we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. That's who killed them. Wherefore, ye be witnesses to yourselves that ye are the children of them which killed them, the prophets. Fill ye up in the measure of your fathers. Ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can you expect the damnation of hell? All those things that you go on to say is going to come upon that... Verse 36, Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. That's payment would be due. And we know what happened in 70 A.D. I believe it was Titus came and leveled Jerusalem. They had 40 years from the time of Christ. This is the interesting part. They had 40 years to straighten up or to leave. Just like the the Canaanites, 40 years while the disobedient Jews were dying in the wilderness, those Canaanites could have left. 
They didn't do it. Now payment come due. The budding fig tree, like I say, depicts what Christ reveals in 20, you uh, read it there in the book of Luke. The, these things are, are beginning and this generation shall not pass, but as far as the day and hour, we do not know the Lord's return. There are three trees that are, I guess, typified concerning Israel. We have the vine in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 1 through 7, talks about Israel being a vine. What I'm getting at is, what does this fig tree represent? You see, Israel is a vine. Isaiah chapter 5 I'll figure it out in a minute. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 1. I will now will I sing to my well beloved the song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill, and he fenced it and gathered out the stones thereof and planted it with the choicest vine and built a tower in the midst of it, and also made a wine press therein. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes, and it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Wherefore, when I looked, that it should bring forth grapes, brought forth wild grapes. And now go to, I will tell you, what I will do with my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. And I will lay it waste, and it shall not be pruned nor digged, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah his pleasant plant. And he looked for judgment, but behold, oppression for righteousness, and behold, a cry. That's what happened to them. From the time they were made a nation till the time they rejected their Messiah, they were the vine. Then there's also the olive tree, which is a picture of Israel after the return of Christ. Now, there in Revelation 11, it speaks about the two olive trees, the two witnesses of Christ. 
In Romans chapter 11, it gives us a better idea of what I'm trying to say. Romans 11 and verse 15. This is referring to the fig tree that Christ cursed and withered. Romans 11 and 15. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be? But life from the dead. He cursed them, they died. That fig tree withered. But he's also able to bring it back to life, and that's what he'll do. What is the account there in is it Ezekiel 36? The valley of the vision of dry bones. Can these bones live? If God says so, they can and will live. That's Israel. It's what we see right here in Romans 11, 15. If the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world. Now, what's Israel right now? They're in their land. Just like, see, you've heard me use this illustration many times. Over in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 37. So I prophesied as he, I was commanded, verse 7. And as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to his bone. And when the, I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them from above, and there was no breath in them. They're a exceeding great army. They're in their land. And incidentally, if you look at the, the dialogue there in Matthew 24 and Luke chapter 21. It does not say they will be gathered. It implies that they are already there. It says in Luke 21 they'll be driven away, but Christ is basically talking they're already back there in their land in the end times. Well, they are now in their land. It is the end times. But there's no breath in them. Breath symbolic of Breath of life, the Holy Spirit. They're dead spiritually. I mean, it's very plain in John 14, no man cometh to the Father but by the Son. They're not coming by the Son. Then they're not coming. It's as simple as that. The fig tree died under the, the curse, Christ cursing it. In the Ezekiel, I think it's Ezekiel, I'm afraid to say, Ezekiel 37 and 12. Therefore prophesying to them, thus saith the Lord, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and will cause you to come out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. He's going to open those graves. The dead in Christ, all we read in Thessalonians, shall rise first. As we know, it's going to happen. I think it's in Matthew chapter 24. That's where we'll turn to. I had to change the size of the font of my study guide and 
I'm used to being one certain size, and it's kind of I kind of get lost in the translation. I guess is the word for it. Matthew twenty four thirty four. Now let's read starting verse 27, Matthew 24:37, 24:27. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even to the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Nobody's going to mistake it when it does happen. For wheresoever the carcass is, there shall there will the eagles be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light. And the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. As I said, they should be cheering, though they're mourning because they see what they've done, and they see what's going to happen. They shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and glory. And he will send his angels with the great sound of the trumpet, and they shall gather together the elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Now learn the parable of the fig tree, when his branch is yet tender and putteth forth his leaves, and you know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye... When ye shall see these things, know that it is near even at the door. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. I believe it's in the 21st chapter. Yeah, the, the 21st chapter. Verse 17, And he left them and went out to the city of Bethany and lodged there. Now in the morning as he returned into the city, he hungered. And when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon but leaves only. Incidentally, in the budding of the fig tree, the leaves are increased. It bears no fruit. That's the difference between the wheat and the tares is no fruit. And he said unto it, Let no fruit grow on it henceforth and forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. That's Israel cursed by God. And as we read there in Romans 11, back alive from the dead. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How soon is this fig tree withered away? It just happened right before their eyes. That wouldn't happen normally. Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, If ye have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and, thou, and be thou cast into the sea, and it shall be done. And all things whatsoever ye ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. It goes on and talks about uh, authority. Verse 28, But what think ye, if a certain man had two sons, 
And he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. And he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, Sir, I go and went not. Whether of them twain did the will of his father. Now, I mean, it's, it's plain. What was the difference? One repented and one did not. And all these things, except you repent, you shall likewise perish. Anyway, that's all our lesson today for the budding of the fig tree.